Blog Talk Radio. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. Twenty-four, two 2010, and welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer. Got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living, because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, the post-OMG Summit wrap-up. In our Survivor Spotlight, Dory Plate. And joining us later, Meg Harrison, Patient Services Manager at the Leukemia Lymphoma Society of New York City, and Karen DeMero, the Senior Divisional Patient Service Manager at the Leukemia Lymphoma Society Long Island Chapter, both of whom were my co-chairs for the entire OMG Summit. And as a reminder, this broadcast is a program of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation on the web at i2y.com. We help young adults fight cancer every day. And we're bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight. Why? Because survival rates and quality of life in young adults not improved in 30 years. And, of course, the Stupid Cancer Show would like to thank our major sponsors, including Spencer's Gifts. Tonight's show is being brought to you by our friends over at Cancer and Careers, committed to changing the face of cancer in the workplace by providing a comprehensive website, cancerandcareers.org free publications, and a series of support groups and educational seminars for employees with cancer. So hello, my friends, and welcome to yet another fun-filled and exciting romp through the hands of tonight's stupid cancer show, where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network, broadcasting live from the chemo deck. Our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan, I am Matthew Zachary, a 14-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. Lisa Bernhardt has the evening off. She is on vacation. We send her her good karma. And uh, in studio tonight, our chief cancer anarchist, Jack Buffard, recently appointed newly payrolled vice president of grassroots programming. Hey, Jack. What's up, dude? Jack will be monitoring our live interactive concurrent chat room. So if you have any questions for our guests, let him know. There's a small chance he might listen. And, of course, last but not least, joining us live tonight are always fabulous broadcast production assistants, the lovely Amanda Freeman. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. You look rested. Well, you know, 10 hours after all the festivities, I definitely need it. And we're going to discuss those festivities. I know. 
Fantastic. And in our studio audience tonight, we've got a great group of friends. Please welcome to the show Cora Schumacher from Des Moines, Iowa. Hello. John Filbert, Regional Chair of South Midwest United States. How you doing, Boston? And Stacey Owens, Regional Chair of the Southwest United States Chapter of I2I, my friend from Los Angeles, Stacey. Hey, hey, hey. For those of you out there that ever saw Side Order of Life on the Lifetime Television Network when I was on the show in 2007, that is where I met Stacey on the set. She was a, uh, you were a PA? Yeah, PA. And Did you say uh, Side Order of Fries? Side Order of Jack Buffard. So we got a great, great great show for you tonight because it is all about the weekend. It's amazing we're all awake right now. We say everybody's working for the weekend, but we're working for last weekend, as in yesterday and Saturday, the two greatest days of my life in the history of the young adult cancer movement. Dude, we did make history yesterday. We totally made history. And uh, I got to tell you, I mean, obviously, I'm the MC and I'm the CEO and whatever, and I'm getting a million different emails and comments and blog posts and stuff today, but so are all the people that attended. Yeah. There are all these cross-linked photographs and people getting tagged and hundreds of pictures and new galleries going up and tweets going out. It's extraordinary, and I couldn't be, like I said yesterday, I could not be more proud of the community that we as like a claim that I helped give a vitamin B shot to, and I hope that is the case, uh, that our voices are being heard. We have become the change we wanted to see happen. And um, yeah, 300 people from all over the world came right. to New York. And then that's the thing that blows me away about this conference is looking back at our registrations, we had 40 states represented and six countries. That is true. And to that, we had a live stream, so anyone in the world with an Internet connection could go to omgsummit.org and absolutely listen and hear the entire thing broadcast live in HD with high-quality audio. We had people, over 800 individual unique logins to the, to the summit from around the world. More people watched it on the web than were there in person, and I yeah. find that extraordinary. That's awesome. And I was even getting text messages from people that were watching it at home. And uh, the interactive chat room that was going on during the summit was awesome, too, because there were so many conversations going on about what was being presented and talked about at the venue. And uh, it was just amazing that, you know, the people that, that couldn't make it to New York were able to partake in the entire summit from the comfort of their couch or their office or their bedroom or whatever. And, and that is exactly true. We had a lot of cancellations because obviously we are dealing with a patient population that can potentially be you know, medically fragile in, you know, potentially compromised situations and they can't really commit to certain things. And that's the nature of the beast, which is why it was so important that we ensure that anyone that wanted to see it had the right and the opportunity to get access to it. And it was amazing, unbelievable. So we're going to be talking about that all day today if all day means one hour. And not only was the conference yesterday a huge success, but so was the pre-OMG cocktail party we had here uh, Saturday night. Yeah, and, and that was another thing, too. We, we, people were like, well, all right, the joke is next time do the cocktail party after the summit and not the night before it. Or both. Or both, <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, I mean, again, we had over 
easily over 200 people at the yeah. cocktail party. Um, the place was jammed. The party was off the hook. We had DJ Juicy, Emily Rubin was there uh, spinning for us. And it was just, it was. this is what it's all about. We don't want boring meetups. We don't want boring conferences. We don't want boring PowerPoint presentations. We want stuff that is built for us. And getting together in a bar, which is not a, really a bar, it's more like a lounge club hip joint. Yeah. With 200 of your young adult survivor colleagues from all over the world uh, to share some drinks and break some bread and, and just meet and greet and have a great time. That's that's the dream. Yeah, and, and it was great to have so many people who talk all the time on Facebook and in the chat room for the Stupid Cancer Show and through all of our social media outlets to be in the room together in person, getting pictures taken with each other because we've made all these connections and no matter where you are in the country or where you are in the world, like these are our friends and these are our family. And to be able to get take it offline and into a venue where everyone's in the same space and hanging out, you know, in person as opposed to in a chat room or writing on each other's walls is just amazing. Absolutely, absolutely. And I again I mean we're having Meg Harrison and Karen DeMera on the show later. They'll be calling in um to talk about how this has truly grown. Um and Jack, just to point out, I know we discussed this obviously yesterday, but I met you at the inaugural ONU right. summit in two thousand and eight. Two thousand eight. And again, when I was medically fragile. When you were well, you're mentally fragile now, but you were medically fragile then. What? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing, and, and I mentioned this during the uh, Survivor breakout yesterday, was that uh, my first I2I event was the inaugural OMG Summit in 2008, and it was April 2008. I finished my chemo in May of that year, so I was a month from the end of my treatment, and uh, I went with my mom and was like, oh, my God, here I am in a room of 100 people that are just like me because I wasn't getting that that peer support when I was uh, in my hospital and in the support groups that were available to me. And uh, that's kind of what kick-started my whole I2I advocacy life. And uh, it was kind of like having a two-year anniversary yesterday because really a lot was. of the people that were at OMG I were agree. people that I met at the OMG Summit two years ago. Yeah, and, it, and that's exactly what it is. It really is a two-year anniversary because I truly believe that in the, in the seminal markers of where I2I has come from three and a half years ago, the birth of the radio show, which was exactly three years ago last Monday. Right. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What's today? Today's the 20... 24th. May today, 24th. Today is the three-year anniversary of the Stupid Cancer Show. If oh, you well, happy that. anniversary. Happy anniversary to the Stupid Cancer Show. It gets its own round of applause. And next week, the first anniversary, or the third anniversary of your first listener, right? <laughs> no, next, next week is the first anniversary of... Um, I have no idea what you, what you just said. You said three years ago. No, next week we're going to get our first listener. Right. Okay. No, you said three years ago today was the first radio show that yes, you ever did. That is true. So next week would be the third anniversary. Okay, of the because first no listener. one listened on the first show? Right. That's probably true. I think my mom listened on the first show. Yeah. And that was about it. And our, your first live guest was Sage Bolte, who was... No, that's not true. My first live guest... Well, my, Sage Bolte was my first guest on the second show. The premiere show, the inaugural show on May 28th, 2007, was um, Laura Higgins. Oh, okay. Musician, young adult survivor, Hodgkin's lymphoma from Jersey. Yeah. She was, as far as excuse <laughs> Get a little too close to the mic when you're drinking Pepsi. Sorry about that, folks. And, uh, Sounds oh, like one of your children. And Just my dad's in the chat. We life. have a minor segue announcement to make, which is that my birthday is coming up this coming weekend. Yeah, 40, so, huh? What? You just 
Aren't you aging out of your own organization? No, I'm going to be 36 on Saturday. Yeah, close enough. And, uh, but, again, I mean, just going back to how, how blessed I feel that I am and, and what I hope I can impart to other people who are going through so many challenges and, and sort of trying to move forward with their lives, that there is hope. Uh, there is there is good things that can happen in life, and between my children being born, who are three weeks old, a little over three weeks old now, between the the summit that just happened, my birthday coming up, my 15 year cancer anniversary coming up this fall, it's and hanging out with me every week. You are not part of that list of great things. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm sure in the grand scheme of things, there I would be on the list somewhere between like. You know, taking out the garbage. No, you're you're between when one ply toilet paper became two ply toilet paper. Yeah, that was a good day. And when Airwick, when Wizard became Airwick. Who? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone out there get that joke? When Wizard became Airwick, then you deserve a prize. Well, first of all, I I usually need things explained to me, but that one you just completely lost me on. Okay, well I will take a brief non sequitur out there. Wizard was an air freshener brand. Okay. That was out there, kind of like Glade. Do you plug it in, plug it in? Yes, that's exactly it, because you said plug it in, plug it in before. And to that, Wizard, I'm a brand guy. I worked in advertising. Many of you know that I was actually uh, I was uh, Dilbert in the cubicle for a very long period of time. But Wizard wanted to rebrand itself because people weren't buying Wizard. You wouldn't want to buy an air freshener called Wizard anymore. So they decided to rename themselves Airwick. And it was the worst brand transition in history. Kind of like when um, Philip Morris became Altria. Right. Which was actually a brilliant brand transition because no one really affiliates Altria, which owns Kraft Foods as well. as you know They're not sponsors. But we're not saying anything bad about them. This is about brand transition. So Wizard became Airwick. And in my world, it was the worst brand transition in history. But along the list of where you fall in my life is relative importance. It's between that and two-ply toilet paper. So I'm on the list. <laughs> you are still on the list. That's good. That's all I needed to hear, my friend. You could have just said, yes, you're on the list, and saved yourself ten minutes of babble. That is true. That is true. And you explain are. to everybody how old you are by your references. Yes. So my, I will be 36 on Saturday, May 29th. And... Um, it, well, happy it's birthday. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We may throw an impromptu New York City Metro chapter party on Friday night. It just depends. Cool. Am I invited? Yes, you actually will be invited to that. Because it wouldn't be a party without me. Without me, it would just be a bunch of people hanging out. I'm just going to leave some dead air for a minute to think about that. Do you want me to explain it to you? <laughs> <laughs> Why are people talking about 80s? 80s video games. They're the talking about room. Apple IIe computers. How'd that happen? Oh, because my father started the conversation, I see. My father said when he was 36, his computer was an Apple IIe, and today we have iPads. Well, can I just send a quick shout-out to your dad and thank you for the email he sent me like 10 minutes ago? He's an active Internet man. It was a good email, and I want to thank you, uh, Papa Greenswag. Papa Greenswag, that's it. Big, big Poppy Lou. That's, See, that's... I just saved myself five minutes of responding to his email by saying that. <laughs> exactly. You know how about space I, I have to type with two fingers and all. You know. But I also want to talk about, before we get uh, Dorian, who's in the studio here, we want to, um, you went to Spain. See, and uh, did you know that they don't speak French in Spain? What? I spent months practicing my French because I thought Barcelona was in France. What? No, I'm kidding. That's it, not true. It's not true at all. <laughs> but actually, you know, a lot of people do speak French. And in what Spain were you in Spain for? I was uh, a speaker on a panel at the Barcelona Digital 
conference, which is uh, B Digital, which uh, they're known as, is a social media healthcare company, and they're huge over in Spain, and they have an annual conference that has over a thousand attendees. And I was asked to go out there and present I2Y to to the uh, to the conference and how we use social media to spread our message and uh, speak to the masses. And how did you do? I did very well because I was allowed to speak English. <laughs> how awkward would that have been if you got up there and said, no, 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 no English, Espanol, solo Espanol. Si. Yes. Me llamo Jack. Um, I, would have been a, I would have been able to ask where the school is <laughs> and where the bathroom is. Donde esta la escuela y la biblioteca? Si. But it was funny because uh, probably like a week and a half before I went, I got an email from the gentleman that was running my session, and it was... Uh, this, him, uh, him, another guy, and myself. So the three of us on the panel, and he requested that we present our our our, our, our talks in English. To which I replied, "No problemo, mi amigo." Fantastic. So luckily, uh, it was a mostly English-speaking conference. For the, for those that didn't speak English, there was a translation service, so it worked out well. And I had four days in Spain to uh to see Barcelona and I only had to like work work at probably like two and a half hours so they might be listening so you I shouldn't gave, be I, saying those things I gave a 20 minute talk then they took me out to lunch which in Europe is a very long process is it really yeah it was like two and a half hours for lunch is that just like people eat slower and smaller portions well, and don't walk no, down double big Mac no one's in a rush okay you know no one's in a rush over there and a lot of them take their afternoon siestas too so Afternoon. But it was a great time, and you know, I'm 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 very appreciative of uh, B Digital for inviting me to come out there. And uh, Barcelona is a great city, so if anybody has has the opportunity to visit, I suggest you do it. All right. Well, speaking of um, the most awkward segue I could possibly imagine, let's bring out Dory Plate and uh, our little cue here. Nine eighteen. I try to sync that up every week. But it's never 4.30 for the people listening to the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I don't have a bio for Dory because she never sent me one because I never asked her for one. Can I do it? But I will allow Jack to improvise a biography to introduce Dory Plate to the Stupid Cancer Show on Survivor Spotlight tonight. Go ahead. In this corner, sitting directly to the poof shoes left, we have Dory Plate hailing from Baltimore, Maryland. Dory is a thyroid cancer survivor who just graduated from college the other day and attended her first OMG Cancer Summit yesterday Woo! and is not a fan of John Silbert. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Nor you. That's correct. Is anybody, though? So, Matthew, it is my pleasure to present to you and the Super Cancer Show audience, Miss Dory, please. Hello, Dory. I need to ask you a question. Yes. How long have you been waiting to sit in that chair? Uh, uh, probably since I found out about I2I, which was in late 2007, which, yeah, so whenever the show came on, yeah, pretty much that long. <laughs> and how did you find I2I in 2007, which was, we weren't barely even on the radar back then. I was having hardcore radio brain back then, so I don't know. I don't remember, but I think I randomly found it uh, somehow, and... Uh, from then, I found it, I signed in, but I never really got involved with it because I think you guys were just starting right. and just blossoming into what you are today. So then I um, found you guys randomly again in uh, September this past year, and then from then on, it's been 
obsessed. It's been a love affair. Oh, yeah. To say the least. Absolutely. So um, you had thyroid cancer. Yes. You were how old when you were diagnosed? 17. Wow. And how old are you now? 21. God bless you. <laughs> God bless you. Thank you. So thyroid cancer, as many of you might know out there, is the number two cancer uh, in young adults. And a lot of people tend to have a stigma about thyroid cancer because it's the good cancer to have. Crap. And Wait, hold on a second. I was told that I had the good cancer. You had the good blood cancer. She had the good regular cancer. Oh, well, aren't we a pair? You are totally a pair. But the idea of it being a good cancer in the sense that the treatment for thyroid cancer is, quote-unquote, only radioactive iodine. Oh, God. But talk to us a little bit about, obviously, there is no good cancer to have, but there's more to that saying so you're 17, your life gets disrupted. How was this diagnosed to begin with and talk us through that, that, those first few days? Uh, from the diagnosis? Yes. Well, it was three days before my graduation from high school when I found out. So. That's great timing. Oh, absolutely. So I had, like, when I was walking across the stage, it was huge because it was like I was at a crossroads. I was becoming, I was walking across that stage and taking two paths. I was a cancer fighter and a high school graduate about to go into my first year of college. So it was uh, unbelievable. You know, I was trying to get everything done that I wanted to get done, you know, as a normal, quote-unquote, high school student about graduating. And then I had to move into everything else I had to do, and it was unbelievable. It was so stressful. So did you at the current time have, like, I don't know, maybe a, a life plan for yourself? Yes. Goals that you would like to have achieved? Yes. And were those all sort of thrown out the window? Um, in a way, yeah. Um, I was still able to get through college on time, thank God. That's fantastic. <laughs> Thanks to everybody I know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, you know, right when I got out and I had everything done, like late June, I had my surgery, and then I was doing um, – I right away went to my six-week prep time for um, my radioactive iodine treatment. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, – I was also doing driver's ed, which was insane because I was tired and on my rate, on my low iodine treatment um, diet, and I was also trying to get everything else finished. I was so tired and exhausted. It was excruciating because I had no idea what I was in for. Well, there you go. No clue. And um, did you, uh, I guess, what kind of follow-up did the doctors, did they tell you like you have a, X percent of survival, or here's all these support resources, or we're just kind of throwing you out in the cold? They didn't, my, I love my doctors, but they didn't give me really anything. They kind of just said, you are going to be fine. You know, don't worry about anything. You know, this isn't as bad as it sounds. You know, they said, you know, you're, everything's going to be fine. They didn't send me any support, no nothing. There was just, you know, if you need anything, call us, and that was pretty much it. I was given nothing to, you know, lean on, really. And one thing I really do want to point out is that you, it's not just you uh, as a young adult affected by cancer. You have cancer going on in many different dimensions at this point and get extra credit for you and your family going through this together. Do you feel comfortable telling us about that? Of course. Uh, Well, actually, it started with my mom getting similar symptoms that I got. I got thyroiditis in my neck, and then they did the random scan. Oh, thyroiditis, it's the swelling and and, um, inflaming of the thyroid, and it's really painful. And they give you antibiotics for it and send you on your way. Um, But my mom got similar symptoms, and she was like, oh, well, Dory had the same thing. So she went to go get an ultrasound. And then um, once she got that done, they found three nodules in her neck. She was diagnosed 
in mid-December. Then my sister was diagnosed in January because she wanted to go get scanned because she was worried herself. And then everyone else, all of a sudden, like wildfire, everyone in my direct line and my mom's side got scanned. Um, and my dad and my brother did as well. So those two are fine. But now my mom, my sister, my aunt, and my cousin are all diagnosed. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad I'm at least 15 feet away from you right now. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, we're going to wrap up quick because you know, you're going to stay here. You're not going anywhere. You could chime right. in any time. But, sure. but obviously, yes, we talked about the good cancer. There's no good cancer to have and thyroid cancer being a dominant do you have any message to other 17-year-olds out there? Because we talk a lot about the invincibility complexes that mm. people have. Lord knows I went misdiagnosed for eight months. And I, I have a lot of myself to blame for that because I was in denial that there was something wrong with me mm-hmm. on top of the fact that doctors gave me Robitussin for brain cancer. So were you in denial of this? Was this something? Are you the kind of personality that you're not quite hypochondriacal, but you recognize the need to take care of yourself at 17? No, I do have actually one thing to add to to the family thing, but I do want to answer your question real quick. Um, yeah, I had no idea. I'm I'm a spoiled brat, I'll admit. I, you know, still can't cook. <laughs> and I do clean. You know, my mom's going to probably yell in the chat room for this, but I, I don't a lot of the time. But, you know, I just was spoiled. I had everything laid out on the table for me. College was already taken care of, no problem. You know, everything was laid out on the table. I just had to walk across those stones that were already pre-laid. So, you know, but I really did have an invincibility complex. And as soon as I was diagnosed, I had this death complex for like six months to a year. And it just was really bringing me down, even though I was still getting through college and still everything. But if you're 17 or 18, 19, 20, you have an invincibility complex, get over it because you're not invincible. It's not, you know, this can happen to anybody, especially 17-year-olds. Now, I still haven't found anyone who's diagnosed at around uh, 17 years old with my cancer still, you know, looking for those people. And it's just like I felt so alone, never felt more alone in my life. And, you know, you're not alone. I realized that after being part of I2Y for so long. So, Well, you're hired. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's bring out our two guests here. Cue up the music that I we played this at the summit yesterday, folks, and uh, I I don't think it could be more appropriate with the energy and the passion that was in the room. So uh, let's make this work. All right, joining me tonight, our official guests on the show. Meg Harrison is the patient services manager at the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, New York City chapter. Karen DeMera was the Senior Divisional Patient Service Manager at the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, Long Island chapter. I don't have formal bios for them, but I can summarize that they are two of the most extraordinary people I've come to know and love in the young adult cancer community. Entering into my life in probably mid-2007 to discuss all sorts of things that needed to happen for the young adult community that the Leukemia Lymphoma Society really wanted to step up for. We launched the OMG Sub in 2008 after six months of thinking about what the hell we needed to do. They've been my partners in crime for three years now. I love them to death. And we're going to talk nothing but good things right now here on the show. Please welcome Meg Harrison and Karen DeMero. Hi. Hi. Hello. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Thank you. Thank you so much. Feel free to accredit. Now, I was going to say, feel free to accredit yourselves if you have any other things that I forgot to mention. No, I just think, you know, being a part of this is 
incredible. It has been just such a journey from the beginning, and I'm so proud that the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society started three years ago and said this is really important and came to the right people to find out how to do it and has continued to expand their efforts in the young adult community every single day, and I'm just so psyched about it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And yesterday was just a testament to all the hard work that everybody has done, but come on, guys, the three of us, we've really pushed this. We did, and, and again, I mean, we'll take credit for, for opening the door and working our ass off to build that door. But what it has given birth to, and as I mentioned yesterday, it, it, everyone that participated is the cause of the cause. Mm-hmm. And it's this cyclical karma that just keeps perpetuating itself in just raw, organic power. And uh, I, I wanted to, obviously, it was so important to have you guys on the show. We have a lot of listeners tonight. Obviously, we made a lot of new friends yesterday, a lot of new partners, a lot of new sponsors and uh you know it's it's we have become the change that we wanted to see happen and you know we're never going to be where we want to be but we're definitely not where we were and we're happy to be here to begin with and there's no better place to be than here than right now absolutely you know one of the things lots of people want to join us i was looking at the evaluations there are more people that want to be involved next year and want to help form the summit than not. And for those of you listening who did not take our survey, please contact us because we want your feedback. We want to know what you thought about the summit. We want you to help us make the summit even better next year so we can have 500 people, 600 people. There's no limit to the potential for this event. And just fodder for that, I talked to um, one of the staff members at PACE today And her comment was that she could not recall a happier or more joyful audience than the people that were in that auditorium. And I I thought that was so powerful because we're talking about, you know, a bunch of people who have battled or are battling cancer. And for her comment to be, this was just an excited, exuberant bunch, I thought that was pretty amazing. Well, considering that that venue is where they film inside the actor's studio. Exactly. And the, and, and the, yeah. and the line of A-list celebrities that are presented in front of audiences in that room, I think she's yep. right. Yep, <laughs> this audience yeah. topped it. And, yeah, we it's did. pretty amazing. So I want to recap for all the people out there. And for the record, again, we, we mentioned that this was uh, webcasted live over the Internet, and we had nearly 800 unique visitors and viewers the entire time. It is currently going to be available forever it is living on the internet we're going to have a hard copy we're going to do a cleaner post-production version of it but if you go to omg2010.org it's right there you can watch the whole thing you can skip the different parts relive it all over again i can't wait to watch it again um actually i can't wait to watch it for the first time i was living it yesterday but just to recap i'd love to go over some of the highlights Mm -hmm. of yesterday for our listeners and and i i think we we have to start with diane balma Absolutely. She was unbelievable. Diane Balma is a young adult breast cancer survivor. She is the former executive director of Stand Up Cancer, an amazing national organization that we all actually support. And they are doing another one of their amazing telethons this September. I hope to be a part of that. I hope we could all contribute to that. And she is the former, I forget her title, but she is the former, like, really senior high hot show at Susan G. Komen. And mm-hmm. you guys want to just talk about her speech? 
Well, I think the thing that stuck out for me, and I was running back and forth admittedly, but the thing that she was talking about is the power of the support network that she was able to create with other young women who are going through similar diagnoses. And that was incredibly powerful for me and I think for all the people that were in the room because that's exactly what we're trying to create is this network of support that didn't exist before. And she was able to carve it out a little bit and make that work for her and her friends. And I think it's even better now than it was then. I agree. I think that it set the tone for the whole program yesterday. I mean, we know that probably more than half of the reason that people show up is to just get the support from other people that are in similar situations. And um, I think by her talking about that and how she went from where there was nothing to having something and um, it just gave, you know, the audience members that were not attached with any one group something to think about. And I also think her message of empowering people to have a voice and to stand up and say exactly what you're all saying is it's not okay. It is not okay that we don't have the services that we deserve. And she gave that message loud and clear and just to Karen's point, set the tone for the whole day. Absolutely. And I, I, I kind of like the thing that it's not okay. So many people say it's not fair, and mm -hmm. that's just whiny, and, and I don't get it. You know, why me? It's not fair. We, that's not good. That's not conducive towards getting anything done. Um, and I give her credit for that because that's what we use in our promotional video. It's not mm -hmm. okay. And she, that's what she said. It's not, it's not okay. Right. Uh, I was blown away by her speech. She clearly has been behind the podium many, many times. <laughs> clearly. And exactly. she was good. She was definitely good, and it was a great way to start the morning. And again, Stand with the Cancer is one of the, uh, they're doing groundbreaking research. And if I could just dovetail off a little bit, because this is why it's so relevant that we had her. There's so little cancer research out there for the young adult movement, if there is barely any. Obviously, because there's strength in numbers, the majority of cancer research out there is built for the biology and epidemiology of, of uh, older Americans who comprise 94% of the people that get cancer. But more and more evidence is uh, growing to support the notion that cancer research is no longer going to be body part dependent. Mm -hmm. And instead of saying we need to do more colorectal cancer research, here's money, and all the scientists flock to where the money is, what Stand Up to Cancer is doing is they are raising all this money building pools of researchers and scientists and saying, what is it that we need to fund, mostly genomics, molecular medicine, instead of disease specifics, and then they'll be able to translate the research there into diseases regardless of age. So that's why there's a higher, uh, higher probability than ever that stand-up to cancer will yield young adult cancer research for the first time in the history of this great country. Great. So, and then I think we moved on to probably the most hysterical, the unintentionally <laughs> hysterical uh, breakout session of onco fertility. Uh, Karen started what, a war between eggs and sperm. They kind of did start mm -hmm. a war between eggs and sperm, but uh, oh my gosh, that but that was great. That really was, and I think it. You know, one of the things is that in many of the resources that are available for cancer patients, and it was pointed out, again, in the evaluations, and then I started to think about it, is that there are all these different um, groups that are started and things like that, and a lot of them 
focus on women and not so much the men. Yet, when we sat and listened to all the information in the oncofertility section, there's been a lot more done for the men. Obviously, it's easier to take care of some of the issues ahead of time than it is for women. But it, it was a strange, you know, dichotomy there of, in one case, there's a lot of women that are out there and they're trying to do a lot of work for the women. But on the other hand, some of the things that have been happening have been for the men. And I thought that, you know, then they started going at it in the room. And uh, But, oh, my God, talk about really intelligent people up there on that panel. They and blew me speaking away. Of, yes, and speaking of who those intelligent people were for our listeners out there, we had Dr. Leonard Sender, who is the chairman of the board for I2Y, but he is a clinical professor of medicine and the director of oncology services at the Children's Hospital of Orange County uh, Comprehensive Cancer Center. We had Dr. Karen Albritton, who is the director of adolescent and young oncology at the University of North Texas Cook Children's Hospital. And Dr. Teresa Woodruff with the Ph.D., she was very, with, and numerous oh, other letters and numbers after her name, who is the Thomas J. Watkins Professor of OBGYN, director and the founder of the Oncofertility Consortium and MyOncofertility.com at Northwestern. You, you don't get a better brain trust or brilliant people in the same place at the same time that often. Mm -hmm. No, you know, Matt, I, I think they were so empowering because they were giving people real options up there that I hadn't even heard of. And I thought, wow, there really are a lot of things that can be done, but you have to ask the question and you have to make sure that your oncologist pays attention to your concerns before you get your treatment. And I thought that was a really powerful message for everybody here. And I think the highlight of that session, and a lot of people have been quoting this now, was when they were talking about those of us that are younger and single and the women that have their eggs harvested and they need to be fertilized so the embryo can be frozen and that whole process. And either they're single or they're, like, you know, in high school dating someone that, you know, they don't really see marrying in the future or whatever. They said, just because you haven't found sperm charming yet, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can still do these things. And the whole, like, sperm charming, prince charming reference has spread through our community like wildfire. And everyone is still cracking up over that. Is there a Twitter hashtag for that yet? Uh, give me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, like the the fact that they, you know, we didn't want to have. Well, I'll say it, I'll say it friendly. We had doctors on the show who were personable, who were human, who understood the cause, who spoke our language, who embraced everything that they're doing in front of a crowd who they live to benefit. And again, the the the, the karma, the camaraderie, the, it was just sperm charming aside, which was just gravy on top of everything. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they de they were definitely um, one of the highlights. For sure, for sure. And and for anybody who wants to, you know, relive the moment if you were there or see it for the first time if you weren't, go to omg2010.org and you can watch the entire day from the comfort of your computer and it's and as Matthew said at the top of the show it's there forever and it could be viewed at any time and 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 I know a lot of people out there have iPads and iPhones it does use flash so it only works on Androids and potentially Blackberries I believe with the new flash update and all computers uh web browsers um all right and next up was the breakout session on employment and insurance uh, which featured our three BFFs, Rebecca Nellis from Cancer and Careers, our sponsor for today's show, 
Laura Mosiello, the Director of Women's Cancers at Cancer Care, and Joanna Morales, uh, a lawyer and uh, Director of the Cancer Legal Resource Center. I think this was one of the sessions that could have gone on forever. I mean, they all could have gone on forever, but this one seemed to have so many relatable implications. Well, I think we don't get this kind of information when you're first diagnosed or even along your cancer journey. You're worried about so many other things that, like, oh, I don't know, saving your life, that you don't think to ask these kinds of questions until perhaps it's too late. And so just giving a forum for people to do that was, again, a really powerful thing. I'm going to say that word like a thousand times today. <laughs> right. And the other thing is that there, there's so many legal issues that people just don't know. I mean, they ask the question, but they don't know the answer. And here they had the ability to have three women who have this information just at the tip of their fingers. And it was great to be able to give people that information so that they could then go back and do what they have to do. And again, like, you know, Meg says, empower them. I mean, if they didn't ask these questions or if the topic hadn't even been brought up, they wouldn't know what to do either in terms of their insurance or if they're having a problem at work or anything. I mean, most people just kind of say, okay, well, I guess this is what's supposed to happen. And it's not. And I'll just add, too, I just came from another program that we did tonight with LLS, and it was with the Cancer Advocacy Project, and they provide legal help for people with cancer who have these kinds of questions, and they can provide pro bono lawyers for this very thing. And one of the comments from the participants was that, you know, there's lots of educational stuff about their disease and treatment, but, again, nothing about this. So they didn't even know that they could get these things or that this stuff was available to them. So hopefully now more people know. Sounds like we found more panelists for next year. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, again, just going back to this idea of, I mean, people have disclosures at work, and we have so many stories that we put up on the web and, and that we see in the news about young adults getting fired for being sick because employers find loopholes around ways to fire them. But I remember there was one young woman who asked a bunch of questions, and I forget if it was Joanna who said, we have a lawyer's, We'll find one that will work for you, and we'll get you, you know, we'll win your case, or something like that, where she just outright said, we got your back. And mm -hmm. the crowd went crazy, realizing that people have their back. There's, there are lawyers out there that will do this for you. Absolutely. Exactly. And again, it's just, you know, protecting their legal rights. And that's what these lawyers want to do. Exactly. They don't want anybody to get the shaft, no matter what it is. No, and then, like you said, Meg, before, it's, it's you know, you're, you're too busy worrying about not dying, let alone getting mm -hmm. your life back together, let alone all these other things that, that just flip on top of you. Clearly, you know, I mean, this was the, what did I say last year? I said that, um, was it the employment insurance was the was the most trafficked uh, last year, or was that the oncofertility? No, no, I think employment and insurance, yeah. Right, employment insurance had the most people in the breakouts we did last year. We did not do breakouts this year because everyone wanted to go to everything. And uh, we have some really great feedback already for next year about how to avoid that entirely, and we'll give everybody what they want. But we have, I, I, for me at least, the, the most fun yesterday, hands down. <laughs> and and I, I just have to play the music again because um, was when we had Johnny Emmerman. Come here, Stacey. <laughs> Sage Bolte and Tamika Felder 
up on stage. They didn't even sit at the table. They stood up there. They held their mics. It was like it couldn't have been scripted better. Talking about sex, intimacy, and relationships. Just really, really incredibly powerful. Absolutely powerful. Amazing. Amazing. I have to say, I came in in the middle because I was outside for a while, and it was almost like, what is going on in there? I mean, it was like a party. It was like church. What? We were getting some amen. Church. Back, we were, back, we were back. finding witnesses in the congregation that were like, amen, Tamika. Right. <laughs> they were. They were. And who was that? There was a husband that stood up and asked a great question. The guy in the hat. You remember him? Yes. What did he ask? Because he, he became like the rock star of that session. Oh, well, I don't think he was a husband. He was a single guy. Oh, remember? Single guy. Okay, okay. Yes, he was a single guy that had the question about meeting chicks. the guy with the amputee? Yeah, and yeah. he said, you know, when do you tell them about having one leg? And I think one of our panelists took a, took a real shine to him, as a matter of fact. Yeah, time. yes, they did. Yeah, and he's actually a first dissenter. We'll talk about first dissents during the survivorship panel. But his first dissent name is Trucker. And his prosthetic leg is named Trailer. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. It's Tractor. I'm sorry. His, his, his name is Tractor, and his leg's name's Trailer. That's fantastic. It's great. I can't remember his real name because in the first ascents world, you know people by your nickname. So. That's right. But we talked about, obviously, we talked about very sensitive issues like, uh, like lubrication was a buzzword for about an hour there. Um, we talked about, you know, when do you disclose the right time, if there is one, to talk to people about this. Uh, and, and this was a very popular one. Let's say you're already in a relationship or you're married and this happens. And how do you deal with either having them not understand your situation or this could be cause for divorce? And we had a, a, a beautiful woman. Um, I think it was Aaliyah Bleabel. Was that her name? Yeah. Sure. I no, actually, her name, she just. I remember her getting up. Aaliyah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I'm going to pronounce her last name wrong, but Aaliyah Bleabel. Uh, she just posted on my wall, actually, out of, out of interesting karma, that she and her husband nearly got divorced as a result of the diagnosis, and they worked through it, and they're fine now better than ever. And that happens all too often, whether you're single. Of course, we talk about people that need to sort of find relationships and find love going through this, but obviously a very large percentage of, of young adults that get cancer are already in relationships or married, and clearly there are very different needs out there, but that was discussed and incredibly relevant. And I think what the panel did so just geniusely, if that's a word, is is give people, (laughs) they gave people the permission to talk about this kind of stuff. And and that's that's a huge thing because it gets in the way and, you know, having it be taboo and not being able to discuss the changes that are happening in your body with your current partner or with your potential partner. And with them, everything was on the table. And so they created, even in that giant auditorium, this sort of community of intimate conversation. And it was raucous and rowdy and awesome. Oh, Ann Kramer in the chat room just reminded me about Aaliyah. And it was Aaliyah. She's right. the young woman who mentioned that they had, she and her husband, in order to either reconcile their relationship, <laughs> they had sex every day for 30 yes. days. 30 days. And her husband got a standing ovation. He did. That's right. She made him get up, 
and everyone stood and applauded. And I got on one knee and I said, "I'm one knee," and I said, "I am in awe of you." <laughs> and honestly, they had sex every day for thirty days, and that was their whether they wanted to or not. That was part of the way that they worked themselves through this challenge. And again, there were really no no holes barred. There was no limit to what was discussed. And again, we could have done an entire OMG summit just on this. Mm-hmm. Right. I think one of the things, too, is Meg and I had discussed at one point that we were concerned that that particular section, because last year we did it in a small group and it allowed people to kind of just talk freely and they felt comfortable because it was a small group. But this group yesterday just let it all hang out. And I think that that's a real testament to our panelists, that they made everyone feel so so comfortable yes. that people were able to say whatever was on their mind and ask whatever questions that they really wanted answered. It was it was just fantastic, I, and I'm, I'm I'm in the audience and I'm laughing my ass off because it's just you, you get two three hundred people in a room that are just no one cringed, no one left, no one freaked out. We were just all there as like brothers and sisters, not really, but because that would be gross to talk about that, that for any really brother gross. and your sister. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. Johnny, Sage, and Tamika, uh, they're magic together. They're absolute magic together. Yeah, they could clearly have their own show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't Oprah looking for new shows? Yeah, well, the uh, Oprah Winfrey right? Network, we have to totally get on the Oprah There you Winfrey go. Network. I think I we think we've got our magic right there. Exactly. It's a, what we should call it the, the TJS show. No, that was too generic. Jack, come up yeah. with something funny right now. Tamika and friends? No. All right. <laughs> anyway, on, moving yeah. on. <laughs> moving on. Jack gets the fail button. <laughs> Jack gets the fail button. Uh, and, and then we moved on to the uh, panel on social media that I was on. And uh, I thought it was really, I got a little geeky at times, but I think a lot of people took relevance from it specifically because we talked a lot about privacy. Um, and that sometimes certain things that you disclose through social networking can come back to bite you in the ass. Mm-hmm. Whether you it, whether you want it to or not. Right, right. I thought the um, starting off with that video, which that was awesome. Yeah, I had not seen that, and I thought that was really interesting. And the video is called "Is Social Media a Fad?" You can just Google that or go to YouTube and check it out. It is an extraordinary four and a half minute long piece, and it discusses specifically how social media has changed the way business is conducted in this country, information is exchanged, communities are built, influence is measured, among other things. It's really an extraordinary video. And uh, again, but again, going back to privacy, all this fantastic growth and in, in, in technological development has yielded, you know, many, many positives and many, many negatives. So... We we touched on cyberbullying, which is a pro- applicable to people who have had cancer and have Facebook profiles because you could be made fun of inadvertently on your wall or you post. Oh really? Shut up, Jack. Mm-hmm. And you could also, <laughs> you know, like if you post a picture of yourself bald and some person from fourth grade finds you and friends you, say, "What the hell happened to you? You look terrible." You know, or or for all you know, here's another one. I didn't say this yesterday, but it really occurred to me because it interestingly enough happened to my wife and I in the sense that, you know, we were delayed having children 
obviously because I was infertile for a very long period of time. Also, my, my wife, everyone knows my wife's brother passed away from cancer, so we had a bereavement. And people don't really think when they ask you these questions, but they'll walk up to you and say, what, no kids yet? Or they'll put it on our wall, or they'll, they'll tweet it. And, and you know, it, they're not trying to specifically be, you know, in, intentionally annoying, but these are small triggers, and we have to limit our liability if we really can't sort of, you know, sort of deal with having to be put in those situations. Right. I think it's a very fine line between putting information out there and putting too much information out there. And I think that's something that this whole um, generation needs to learn, while on the other hand, utilizing the positives, as you said, to get the information that they need, to be able to learn about the things that they, you know, that the resources that are out there and things like that, but then watching and following that line of when are you crossing over with giving too much information. And it's tough. It's very tough. It's very, very tough. Um, what else have we talked about? We discussed uh, oh, Cause well, World. I, Cause World. Yeah, I think it's mm-hmm. really some of the stuff, the tools that you guys talked about and helping people to understand how the messages are getting out there and spreading like wildfire. And I think the summit is case in point because yes. somebody asked me the question, how has this grown so much in the past three years? And a lot of it is about social networking Absolutely. and getting the word out there. And it's also about these smaller organizations, like all of us that were there, saying, you know, connecting via social websites and creating a larger network. And I think that was very powerful. Well, yeah, I mean, going back to, you know, Foursquare and Cause World, we discussed location-based social services. And, you know, it's interesting because do you really want someone to know you're actually at Starbucks? Because you could have all these creepy people we were going to mention this. We ran out of time yesterday, but there's a website. It's a real website. It's called pleaserobme.com, and it's it's basically an advocacy group that talks about how location-based services. You might as well just be saying, "I'm not home. Here are my keys. Please take all my stuff." So it's it's very very interesting to have a conversation about location-based social networking. Do you really want people to know exactly where you are at any given point in time? even if it's to help you get free coffee at Starbucks or raise money for a great cause. Mm-hmm. Well, that Jack? goes back to the fine line. Yeah. What do you think about that, Jack? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Is that it? All right. Thank you, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's so good to have him just agree. <laughs> no, but but that's the thing. It's like, you know, from the from the perspective of, uh, you know, with Cosworth, you can just check in someplace and donate your car to I2Y and, that generates a donation. As far as I'm concerned, I don't care whose house gets robbed. As long as it's not yours, although your sports memorabilia? I actually live in a cardboard box. So. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> but no, I got but people watching my house. No, but there's a really serious... Section of town. No, but there's really serious implications to what we discussed in the social media panel. It wasn't just how to use Facebook to make fun of people or, or tag people in photos. But again, the good part about that is that's kind of like social media last year and what the the issues of cyberbullying and privacy protection. And I just heard today on the wall, again, Ann Kramer said that uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, CEO of Facebook, apologized on national television or through national press release about all the privacy problems that Facebook has been causing. 
And I guess before we just go into the survivorship panel, the one thing that I did want to talk about that Adam brought up that I didn't even know about, Adam Ostro, who is the editor-in-chief of Mashable.com, the nation's, the world's greatest social media blog, is that Facebook has an infrastructure in place that if you don't set the right privacy settings in your account, let's say you become a fan of something, that tells certain advertisers to change the way they advertise to you on other websites that you visit besides Facebook. If you become a fan of, you know, two-ply toilet paper, to go back to the conversation with Jack Buffard, then you go to a, a Charmin website or you, you go to, like, just Yahoo, and the banner ads on Yahoo will know you just liked two-ply toilet paper, and you'll have ads on Yahoo that it's like Big Brother's watching you. And that's a little too creepy for people. And, again, it's it's a major sort of one of the really be a watchdog side effects of how much progress social media has made. Boggles right. the mind. Yeah, it does boggle, boggle the mind. mind. Well, it's a um, little scary. No, it, it's incredibly scary. But it's very also, scary. Uh, and again, I mean, we also talk about. I have kids. Like now, I have I have a three week old and another three week old. What what's the world going to be like for them in 15 years when they start doing whatever the internet's going to be? It'll be mind chips, and we'll be thinking stuff. It's, I have, can't even imagine where we're going to be in 15 years. But let's let's get to the um, the fourth panel, which was fantastic. Obviously, the the survivorship panel. That was my favorite part. That was that was Jack's favorite part. Gee, you think so, Jack? But we had we, so. we had. Uh, Karen and Meg, we had our BFF, Deborah Ludwig, a young adult mm-hmm. survivor of yes. leukemia, author of Rebirth, and she does these writing workshops in the city. Fantastic. Uh, Christine Bay is a young adult cervical cancer survivor, singer, songwriter, and a recording artist, and she's the founder of the Yellow Umbrella Organization. Uh, Brad Ludden, big shout-out to the hottest bachelor uh, for Cosmopolitan Magazine in 2008, the founder of First Descent, and some other guy, I forget his name, that was on the... Oh, right. it was Jeff, Jeff something. Jack. James. James James John. Buchanan? Jeff. Wasn't, wasn't James the... James uh, Buchanan, that's what it was. James Buchanan. Wasn't the breakout, or, yeah, the uh, that session, like, Survivorship de la Bouffe or something like that? Yeah, I don't know if anyone really noticed this, but every time, if you, when you watch the, the show, uh, if you were there, and, of course, if you're watching the video, during each panel session, the uh, screen behind them flashed up with their faces in the name of the panel session. Uh, Jack didn't notice this until I showed him a picture today, but, you know, Uncle Fertility, Sex and Sex Relationships, his was Survivorship de la Bouffe. I did not notice that. As a small tribute to the impact that he has had in the world of whatever it is that you do. What is that exactly? So... Jack, what did you, you think, Jack? Yeah, how do you think it went? Well, like I wrote on everyone's surveys, the survivorship panel was the best part of the day. <laughs> no, I thought I saw a common handwriting on every one of them. I was trying yeah. to figure out what it was. There you go. Yeah, more Jack. Um, but no, it was great. No, uh, wait a minute. Actually, people said more Brad. They did say more Brad. For yeah, but justifiably so. <laughs> but that's just to make me look better. Because anytime you're hanging out with an ugly guy, I look. Be- I hang out with an ugly guy, I look better. Right. That's this true. Is true. This is true. But anyway, um, it was actually a great opportunity for me to share some of my story and what motivated me to get into the advocacy world and advocate for our community. 
uh, as well as talk about my experiences with First Ascent, which Brad is the founder of. Um, but it was, uh, it, it was good. Uh, just talking about what I went through when I was in treatment, I was uh, diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma in January of 08. And when I was diagnosed, the hospital and the uh, social work settings that I were and support settings that were available to me consisted of men and women that were in, primarily in their 50s and 60s. And there was a huge generational gap because they were talking about like, oh, I don't have the energy to keep up with my kids or my grandkids and drive the carpool and all that stuff. And I just, and I was like, you know, what? I just want to get better because spring and summer's coming. I want to go to baseball games and Dave Matthews concerts. And I was really reserved with what I was saying and how I participated in that group. And then I went to the OMG conference in April of 08 and was in a room of 100 people just like me. And I was like, oh, my God, like this is my society. And that really ignited the passion for me to join this cause and join this movement and advocate on behalf of myself and everyone else in our community. And to be able to have that opportunity yesterday to, to kind of share my story and, and let people know the serious side of the booth life, uh, I was really appreciative of that, and I want to thank all of you for allowing me to be on the panel. So are we to blame? Yes, yes. <laughs> you are to blame for the booth life. <laughs> now, I actually had to step away and take care of some administrative stuff, but I missed the panel. But, Megan, Karen, do you want to talk a little about what was discussed? Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was, I was lucky enough to be the moderator for that panel, and I really I do feel very honored to be um, up there with the four people that were on that stage, Jack, you included. And I think one of the things that just stood out for me, and I said this yesterday, but it really is that the people that were up there took an incredibly difficult situation and turned it into something that is driving the movement forward in some way. So, Jack, you've become an incredible um, advocate for young adults everywhere. Deborah has used her writing to help other cancer patients go through their through their course and into their survivorship in a different way. Christine certainly is using music as a as a way to promote her message for uh, Save the Hooch, and uh, Brad, of course, doing all of his work with First Ascent. I mean, they're creating part of this larger community and using their passion to drive it all forward, and I was blown away by that. Yeah, I, th I think it says a lot about all of the people on the panel as well as others that have done similar type of things that they didn't let their cancer diagnosis get the best of them. And they realized that after coming through it that they did have something to share with other people and that they could help others in whatever way that they could. And um, I, th I, I, I am just amazed and blown away sometimes at what some of these young adults have managed to do, not only for themselves, but for the young adult community and to just, you know, take on this monumental task of helping others get through a cancer diagnosis. And again, you know, it's like they each do what they do best. And I think that, um, it just really was, it, it was very emotional, and um, I think they just did a great job. I, I would also just add, and we talk about this all the time, that when you get a cancer diagnosis, it takes over your life, and you feel like that's all there is, is the big cancer. 
And the truth of the matter is that it is a huge part, but you're still you. And I think what this panel showed was ways to connect back with these incredible parts of themselves that they were passionate about and are continuing to be passionate about. And the cancer becomes a smaller part, and they can thrive. And, again, giving people permission to look and see what is it that is that they are passionate about and bringing that back into their life. And coincidentally, that's going to help you move into survivorship in a different way. Absolutely. So which brings us to, like, what, the, the coup de grace, uh, I mean, as, as if it hasn't been fantastic enough with Diane and all these amazing experts. Ethan Zahn got up wow. there and shook the room silent. Mm-hmm. And apparently he left his hacky sack he got it back on the podium and walked away. But we have to thank Kenny Kane for finding it and rushing it to him. Okay, I, I don't know Kenny. who that is. <laughs> he was amazing. Amazing. I really appreciated the fact that he was um, willing to share all of this. I mean, I know that he's led a very public life after being on Survivor and being in soccer and but he mentioned that this is the, one of the first times that he was talking about his cancer diagnosis right and i was reminded actually of last year's omg when kevin hearn read from his personal journal yes. when he was going through his transplant and both of these men were willing to expose themselves to this group and it's like we said earlier that this big auditorium became a very small and intimate gathering Yes. And he shared that with everybody, and I think it was incredibly moving for me, and I'm sure for other people there. I was, I mean, I, 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 I'll let out a tiny little secret that I've, I've helped Ethan write his some of his speeches when he first got started because he really wanted to have a platform. But you know, again, open the door, the guy ran with it. I didn't, I don't think I had a single level of any influence in what he read, and if, if that's any product of him. Speaking on behalf of the Young Adult Movement for the last year, even more credit to him than he, he could possibly ever get. Amazing guy, incredibly inspiring, and another one who's clearly been behind the podium before. Uh, it just blew me away. I listened to every word. There wasn't it, you, you could hear a pin drop in the uh, mm-hmm. in the auditorium. Yeah, he was, yeah. he was definitely very inspiring to anyone. So, I mean, that's. That's it, and just talking about it here on the show doesn't even do it justice. Being there and watching it live, I mean, like I can't believe we're already talking 2011. It's the day afterwards, but everyone's talking. Yeah, but everyone else is talking. Everyone's about 2011. talking 2011, 2011, 2011. A lot of people who weren't we there. Were talking 2010. Yeah, we were talking 2010, and I mean, all all due respect to the bare naked ladies, we tried our hardest to bring them back, but it's it's almost. It's like no one really cared that they didn't come back. It would just would have been even more gravy if they did. So it's just a testament to the value of this community and how much we need each other, how, what kind of a family relationship we're all building with each other, and that anything we do next year will be fantastic regardless of whatever we we do because as long as we do keep doing what we're doing, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, and I think, again, this power of the community and people that came that didn't necessarily know anybody when they got there knew not only knew people but were friends with people when they left and had a new network on which to count. And I, I think that was 
one of the most incredible things that happened from this conference and obviously from the ones before. Indeed. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many people came up to me after it was over just saying thank you. I mean, you know, we were cleaning up and putting things in boxes and stuff, and people just kept coming over and saying, thank you for doing this, thank you for doing this. It really, it felt good to know that we put on a show that everybody liked. Yes, we did. Yes, we did, and it's still there. You can watch it at any time, omg2010.org. And I just, I have to give a very big shout-out to all the volunteers that helped make the conference possible. I've been emailing with a couple of them today just to say thank you, thank you, thank you, volunteers from the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and certainly from I2I. They just really helped to move everything along, and there was a ton of them. So to all of you, thank you. And and we're waiting uh, for the, the major mass group shots on stage at the end when we all came up there, all the volunteers, everyone we acknowledged, everyone that deserved to be there, just fantastic. What a day. It was great. So I guess that uh, that rounds out our show. I mean, I guess we, we can talk a little bit about what we want to do for 2011, which is try to beat ourselves, uh, which is going to be a challenge. But rest assured, uh, loyal listeners out there in Gothamists, that uh, we have big plans to help ensure that any young adult around the country that cannot come to New York once a year or isn't satisfied just coming to New York once a year we have a major plan with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society chapters around the country to bring smaller OMG conferences to your community. And We're we, doing one in a couple of weeks. We're doing one in a couple of weeks with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Upstate New York. Mm-hmm. It is on June 12th with um, uh, Leah Shearer from Rochester. Yep. We're having, it, actually, it's, it's in Rochester. It's in Rochester. Johnny right. Emmerman is going to be our keynote speaker, of course. And, I'll be uh, there. Jack will be there. Oh, that wasn't important. Though. Jack, Johnny Emmerman's our keynote speaker. Uh, Leah Shearer from I2I Rochester will be there, who many of you uh, got to meet and see and, and hear from yesterday. And uh, it's just one thing that we are doing as a result of the feedback we've gotten, where I wish I could come to New York, but I can't, or why can't we do a smaller version of this in my community so we can get more things going on here. So we are calling them the Stupid Cancer Boot Camps. And they are a smaller version of the OMG Summit that will feature local doctors, local chapters of LLS, local patient service managers, and, of course, local young adult survivors, co-survivors, supporters, and providers. And for anybody who who wants more information about the Rochester Boot Camp, if you go to events.i2i.com, it's on the calendar. It's June 12th. The link is there. You can register for it. It's completely free, as all of our programs are. And uh, I'm excited to be there with Johnny. And part of my new role as the VP of Grassroots Advocacy is to set up and coordinate running these boot camps all across the country. So if you have an active chapter or people that are starting to get involved and people are really excited about I2I and want to do more, you know, have a couple happy hours. Find out who's in your area through your social workers and your nurses. And, uh, you know, but definitely get in touch with us. We got Detroit, we got Maryland, we got Pittsburgh. We would love to organize your groups, your cities, your chapters, your people, and let's make some magic happen. Have shoes. We'll travel. I'll go anywhere. I would also encourage, you know, even if there's not an I2I chapter in their area, I mean, we've got 64 chapters across the country and in Canada. 
Yes. Find the LLS chapter, talk to the patient services manager. I mean, they are all very interested in working with young adults. We did um, some special breakouts at our professional conference this year just talking about how to work with the young adult population, what kind of programs to do, how to get them organized, that type of thing. So there are plenty of patient services managers out there with LLS that would just love to work with you. So if you're in an area that, you know, there isn't an I2I group, go find the LLS chapter and, you know, tell them you want to do something. They love to have people that want to work with them. They love to have volunteers that want to get programs started. It would be great. And I'll add to that, Karen, that you don't have to be a blood cancer survivor. Absolutely not. To go to a local Leukemia Lymphoma Society chapter, tell them, that you want to do something with I2Y and that chapter, and we'll make it happen. You know what, Matt? I've got to piggyback what you just said because it triggered a memory from yesterday. There was someone that mentioned that um, one of the things that she loved about the OMG conference was that it was not specific to any type of cancer and that all cancer diagnoses were welcome and that she had an experience at our breast cancer walk where she was not allowed in one of the tents because she didn't have that type of cancer. That is true. That is true. She was not allowed. That's racist. In the, no, that, that's that, cancerous. Cancerous. That too. <laughs> well, I'll just I'll say that the that LLS really has has taken up that, and when we are re- reaching out to underserved populations, which sadly the young adult community has been an underserved population to say the least, that we have greater latitude in welcoming all cancers to those kinds of programs. So. They're, they're saying that we want to join you because of who you are and not because of what you have. Exactly. And, again, it's, it's an amazing partnership that we have with Leukemia Lymphoma Society, and we're growing chapter by chapter, person by person, day by day, and it, it's only getting better. So if you're out there, if there and, and, yes, there are more Leukemia Lymphoma Society chapters than there are I2I chapters. So find your local Leukemia Lymphoma Society chapter, Talk to them. Find the patient service manager. They're all awesome, rocking people. And you tell them that Karen DeMero and Meg Harrison sent you, like <laughs> one of those bad electronic TV commercials in the 80s. Tell them yeah, they all know you. our names anyway, so don't yes, worry about they do. it. <laughs> tell them they sent you. You want to work with I2I, and you want to build something really great in your neck of the woods. Woohoo! Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds great. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, I guess I guess that kind of wraps up our talk. Um Keep, I already registered omg2011.org, so we own it. <laughs> Can okay. I register now, or is it too early? I will tell you this. The omg2012.com is taken. And you know what? It's it's a um, it's like, oh, my God, the year is 2012. Oh, because of the whole thing. Oh, like it's like a yeah. Mayan calendar conspiracy thing, <laughs> if you can believe that. Oh so we, we got omg2012.org, but I always try to get the .com as well, just in case. Right. But it's like a crazy conspiracy. It, I don't think it, it. It was there one day, it was gone the next. It was there the next day. But it's just so funny. We'll have to find out when they're. Uh, oh my God! It's the year 2012. The Earth will explode because of John Cusack. Right. <laughs> we'll have to find out when their rights expire and pounce on it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It should be very interesting that year. <laughs> yeah, it should be very interesting that year. Well, thank you, ladies, for being on the show. It's always amazing. Again. Congratulations all around. We kicked ass. We did a great job. Thanks to everyone in the world that made this happen and listened and watched and shared. Thank Thank you. you.
Thank you Alrighty. so much. All right, Love Meg Harrison all. and Karen DeMero from the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Fantastic. So, uh, we have any last-minute stuff, Jack, before we go? Um, yeah, definitely. Talk I do about, want to mention... The, well, we talked about singles. Yes. Briefly singles yesterday. So this is a quick last-minute note for everybody before we sign out. Yeah, our Denver, Colorado I2IBFF, Tracy Maxwell, uh, made me aware of a canoeing and connectioning adventure trip for singles with cancer. And it's a three-day canoeing trip. Complete with camping and washing yourself in a river and no electricity on the Colorado River. It's in Frucha, Colorado, or Fruta, Colorado. I don't know how to say it. Gesundheit. Thank you. And uh, it's August 27th through the 29th. And it's for any single cancer survivors who are 21 and older, and you must be post-treatment. That's the only catch. Is there a website? There is a website. Um, It's tinyurl.com slash canoe connection, or you can call... Area code 720-252-5189. And we'll add this to the Booth News blog. So We'll also add this to Isawa Colorado Group and to the fan page. Sounds good. All righty, guys. That's tonight's show, and now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, Internet. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks, that's tonight's show. I hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd like to thank our guests. I'd love to thank our guests. Karen DeMero and Meg Harrison from the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our live studio audience, Cora Schumacher, John Filbert, and Stacey Owens. Next week's show, May 31st, Stupid Brain Tumor. Akiva Zablocki, young adult survivor of brain cancer on the board of directors of the Children's Brain Tumor Foundation. Bob Gibbs, young adult survivor of brain cancer, the founder of Miles for Hope. And Harriet Patterson, the Director of Patient Services for the National Brain Tumor Society West Coast Office. It'll be a great show. An under-discussed topic, stupid brain tumor. I know it all too well. If you missed any of our previous shows, check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com or search for Stupid Cancer on the iTunes Store. Remember, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here next week, my friends, live. From the chemo deck, Jack Lufard, Lisa Bernhardt on vacation in the Bahamas, Amanda Freeman, Captain Stewie, and I wish you all a great week. Go to bed, Adelina Plate. Fucker out. <laughs>